Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages in Australia and around the world. I'm Lourdes Garcia Larque. On today's show, we will talk about social organizing in New Zealand to fight back unfair welfare reforms and austerity measures that affect the most disadvantaged members of society. We will be speaking with Nadia Abushanab, the co-chair of Auckland Action Against Poverty, AAAP, a direct action and welfare right advocacy group. This group is an openly anti-capitalist organization that was formed to expose and oppose New Zealand's government's agenda of welfare reforms and austerity attacks on the country's people. Nadia is a Palestinian, an educator, and a trade unionist. This talk was presented at the Marxist Conference 2015 that took place in Melbourne in April this year, organized by Socialist Alternative. With the permission of Nadia and the organizers, we bring this talk to you. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here tonight. It's a real pleasure to be in Melbourne and hear some of the debates that have been happening already. Um, so I want to, because... Um, okay, so I'm going to be talking today about um, tri AAAP and some of the things that Auckland Action Against Poverty has been doing. About a year ago, I was called by someone up in Auckland um, who suggested that I apply for the coordinator role at AAAP. This was the one paid role at this point in the office. Um, which I did, and I, I was um, very convinced that this was something I could do, and despite being young, although I'm older than I look, um, that I was, I was capable of coordinating a group such as Auckland Action Against Poverty. But actually about six months later, when I was standing out in South Auckland, and we had a crowd crush of about 500 people um, desperately wanting advocacy support, really at the absolute... Um, chalk face of what is going on in New Zealand's most vulnerable communities in terms of absolute desperation just for basics like food, just for basic entitlement and a basic income. Um, I was quite overwhelmed in terms of you know, what we're actually dealing with and what AAAP, what Auckland Action Against Poverty had taken on in terms of in terms of having an advocacy service in itself when so many people are actually finding it really, really, really impossible to survive right now, as things are. So I know that in Australia, you know, we've seen similar um, welfare reforms in terms of what's happened, but um, definitely we've seen a lot more of a punitive approach to um, the administration of welfare, um, and it's always been a punitive, well, it's been a punitive institution for a long time, but now we're seeing that with this invasion into the private lives of beneficiaries, we're seeing it in terms of how, you know, for example, I was unemployed at the end of this year. If I'd have still been unemployed now, I would not have actually been able to travel over to this conference because job seekers in New Zealand are not allowed to travel overseas um, unless uh, they have to lose their benefit payment, essentially, which a lot of people cannot do. So you're talking about people going to funerals, you're talking about people visiting family, and that is a right the beneficiaries in New Zealand apparently now do not have. Um, so I'm going to be talking about... Um, there's a lot of things that AAAP does, and you were probably seeing a little bit of that there, but I want to talk particularly about kind of putting our ideas, our political ideas, into meaningful action. 
um, by focusing on what our current advocacy coordinator, Alistair, describes as the practice of competent solidarity, which I'll be elaborating on in a bit. But, um, you know, as, as much as Dougal describes me as an academic, I do want to kind of reiterate that I'm not an expert and I'm definitely, you know, this talk isn't based on academic research and I'm actually here with the firm belief that um, you know, it's possible and it's necessary to contribute, um, you know, to our debate about our practice from outside academia. And that's not to, you know, denigrate um, theory, but it's just to say that all of my communist thinking, all of my analysis about class was crystallised, not through, you know, or by my politics degree, or, um, but, it, but actually as a natural result of things I saw both as a Palestinian growing up, but also um, as a result I've seen at the chalk face, of things I've seen at the chalk face um, in our work in Auckland's um, poorest communities. So, um, the, you know, the widening gap we know we know exists, right? I'm not I'm not talk, I'm preaching to people who are going to know that, right? We've got a widening gap between rich and poor, but it's 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 obvious evidence of the existence of winners and losers in in our free market economy, and I think the human costs costs of this are already really unacceptable and obvious, and particularly in the work we do at AAAP. Um, so just a bit of context about AAAP. So um, we're an Auckland-based group, and um, as the people in the video were saying, we set up about, I think about four or five years ago, um, to respond to the government's welfare reforms and put forward constructive alternatives. Um, so the welfare reforms, obviously, from, from our view, are seen within the context of the current right-wing national-led government attacks on unemployed and employed workers, because these things happen in tandem, right? I truly believe that, and I think Eamon was alluding this to, to this as well, um, that actually if we're talking about class struggle and we're talking about, um, you know, and we're talking about things that are going on for people, I think unemployment and housing are two huge issues we need to be thinking about and focusing on actively. Um, as well as, and, and, and again, this was alluded to in the video, the reason that we have been able to see such a savage assault on workers' rights in New Zealand is because the government, particularly national government, have had a deliberate strategy of maintaining an unemployment rate of around 6%. And that means when you're going to apply for a job, there's actually another 100 people there who will take that job. So you see that, you see that with the erosion of um, conditions. And also, you know, we at AAAP receive funding from, um, from some of the more progressive private sector unions because they recognise the cyclical nature of unemployment and low-paid work. And a lot of those workers that are working in supermarkets like Pack and Save and Countdown in New Zealand are actually also beneficiaries because they need to receive support around their income, essentially subsidies for employers paying poverty wages. So um, I, I really can't overstate how grim the situation in New Zealand is in terms of this stuff. And um, I think a real, a real example of that in terms of um, last year, I don't know whether anybody heard about it in Australia, but a man, a homeless man who'd been refused assistance with housing at the doors of work and income actually shot three work and income workers. Um, and um, the whole thing became this exercise in saying, OK, well, we need more security at work and income offices. But what about the security of people who are being told no, who are being humiliated and denied their basic rights on the daily basis at work and income and are not shooting people? They are turning away. They are walking away, living under bridges. They are actually some of them are killing themselves and let's be realistic about that this is life or death for a lot of people and um, you know that's something we don't hear about so um, that is the kind of conversation we're we're actually pushing forward but we're also you know we're a group of and 
were a group of beneficiaries and unemployed people and students and parents and low-income workers and unionists who believe that that social security is a right, which apparently is, you know, is a radical thing to say now. But you know, we believe that all people have the right to food without restore, you know, without having to resort to begging. Um, but I would actually expand on that and say without having to res resort to preconditions on how that food be administered. Mm -hmm. So you can only buy this sort of food because you're a beneficiary, which is something I think has been rolled out here in terms of using those cards. I know that's something our, um, social, our previous social development minister, Paula Bennett, was talking to your guys' equivalent minister about, which is have these cards, you know, you can control the spending of beneficiaries, there's certain luxury items which they shouldn't be allowed to have. And also, um, um, you know, another thing that Working Income now do in New Zealand is they say, we'll refer you to a budgeting service. So to get a food grant, you need to be referred to a budgeting service. So therefore, you need to sit in front of someone, divvy up your budget of $200 a week, which is pretty much your rent, gone in Auckland City, rent gone, and look at your uh, disposable income of $0 and go, I don't have money. How am I supposed to budget better? And then these people give you a basically extremely patronising advice on um, how this can be done. And I want to actually call to question some of that work of these community agencies that are working in these communities in a way that paternalises people and also sets preconditions on that assistance um, and um, also kind of um, has a whole moralistic basis which isn't the way that we operate. So I want to go into some of the thinking around how we work with people and what that means in terms of solidarity. Um, and, and also obviously we believe that... Um, you know, and I think, you know, I was talking to Dougal a little bit about this before, but, you know, all children have the rights to be nurtured and cared for by parents. Again, another thing we're seeing um, is this uh, intervention of the state into how people, you know, what, what mothers can, can, can do with their children. You can't look after your child. You need to return to work as soon as that child is one. And um, whether or not you want to look after that child or that child has specific needs, it doesn't matter. You're going to send them to a centre. Never mind that actually, and I'm a trained early, early childhood qualified teacher, never mind that some of those private services out in some of the poorest communities are absolutely horrific um, and they're very low quality. You should be sending them there. And that, that's our decision to make, not yours. Also things like extending um, free long-term contraceptives to... Um, women, to uh, women who are on benefits and who are unemployed. And so we see that coercion, we see that imbalance of power in terms of how people are being told to live their lives. But we believe that all children, you know, have that right to be nurtured and cared for by parents and all parents have the right to be there for their children if they want to be. Um, and obviously all people have the right to housing and all people have the right to cross international borders. So not being in work doesn't negate these rights. Um, and, you know, because, you know, the promise for our collective well-being that capitalism limits itself to is, you know, if you work hard enough for your employer, you might not, you, you might not starve. Um, and because, because that's about as far as that goes, we're an, we're an explicitly anti-capitalist group. Um, so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about who we are. And... Um, We are hearing Nadia Abushanab, a Palestinian educator and a trade unionist living in New Zealand. She is the co-chair of Auckland Action Against Poverty, a direct action and welfare rights advocacy group. 
You are listening to Accent of Women on Satellite Across Australia. In terms of the context of what's been happening in New Zealand, I think I've kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, but we know we know that last year, um, since the sanctions regime has been rolled out, can someone tell me, do you guys have um, benefit sanctions here in Australia? Yeah. A, a benefit sanction, so you can lose your benefit for a reason? Yeah, yeah. So a, a, a sanctions regime has been rolled out in New Zealand, which means if... People fail their work obligations, and sometimes these these are you know it's hoops and hoops and hoops and hoops in terms of the letters and things that need to be filled in and the the things that need to be attended and these patronising seminars on how to how to find a job um, and how to write a CV in a time where there aren't jobs for everyone. It's a fact, right? So you're just doing this exercise and performing a job search, right? Um, so things like this are happening and. We know that last year, because we did an official Information Act request, and nowhere were these figures you know, publicised except by us, 63,000 benefit sanctions were applied. So that's either half of a benefit or a total loss of a benefit. That's just instances. So, so some people may have received more than one sanction. And what we know from our advocacy work is that a lot of people who, are, who have sanctions imposed upon them and their benefit do not return to being on the benefit. They do other things, and that's obvious. You know, that's obvious that that's going to be, that's going to be happening. So in terms of um, how we put our sort of political ideas into action, um, I want to talk a bit about how we think about our advocacy. And um, so it was talked about a little bit there that we advocate for beneficiaries and unemployed workers and this has been something that's been going on for triple ap have been doing for a long time and um and people before triple ap were doing that in, in the unemployed um workers movement right so they would they've been doing this for some time but what was decided was that there was a need to have some kind of place where people could go where there wasn't a pre any preconditions on that solidarity so we would work with you no matter who you were no matter what had happened, we weren't going to triage people. We weren't going to decide who was deserving and underserving, or, or you know, who, or we weren't going to advise people on how they should live their lives. We were going to respect that actually people are the experts on how they live their lives, and um, we don't really see it as a particularly special skill. We've been training a lot of people to do um, their own legal. It's, it's like not really legal representation, but it's using the Social Security Act and using the kind of actually quite flimsy entitlements, that, quite, quite pitiful entitlements that people have that they're not currently receiving, which are in law, to say actually this person you know, needs a food grant, this person needs that. And for whatever reason, a lot of people, because of the experiences of humiliation, because of the power imbalance at the doors of work and income, and I'm sure it's the same at Centrelink, actually often are made to feel like they can't, they can't actually ask for those, it's not even a case of asking, it's actually just receiving those basic entitlements. But they're made to feel that that is something that they don't deserve. Um, and so um, basically we, we've been doing advocacy for a couple of years now and this, 
the service has just swelled and that's presented us with a few questions because we're well aware that we can never we now have probably about 15 advocates and we've trained dozens and dozens and dozens of advocates um, in different communities we're well aware that no amount of advocacy can solve this problem we actually need some real concrete alternatives to what's going on actually when we're talking about politicizing people and having conversations about what's going on um, it's important that we do that in ways that are meaningful to people's lives so for for us um, actually doing advocacy and working alongside people to make sure they receive their full entitlements is part of a bigger picture in terms of um, I guess talking entering into those discussions about alternatives and having conversations with people although I have to say unemployed workers and beneficiaries in New Zealand are some of the most well are the most politicized people I've ever met in my entire life um, and know full well better than I do better than probably a lot of people may or may not in this room know that you know there are winners and losers in this economic system and uh, and a lot of people are getting richer but a lot of people are paying the price for that in terms of um, you know exploitation in terms of um, in terms of their experiences in work and out of work as well um, and um, some of the really ideologically sharp-ended stuff that the national government has been doing over the last few years is really trying to drive a wedge between low-paid workers and beneficiaries and they've been doing it with some success it's worth saying um, because the narrative is one of you know these people are are the enemy, right? These people who who travel overseas, you know, on holiday and have these lavish lifestyles. I don't know, I don't know where these, you know, like it's it, it's it's farcical when you actually know that reality of what's going on for people and know the reality of mothers who are choosing to spend their last ten dollars either on their prepaid electricity account or on the bread and milk for the kids. Um, but um, this is this is the illusion that that is like it's being it's been painted right, and I know I know it's some, I know it's something that Tony Abbott and his government are doing quite successfully as well, um, to a certain extent. But um, I think one of the benefits is that we have those progressive unions on side, and we are we are um, sending out some clear challenges to that narrative, firstly through our advocacy, but also through our actions directed at the creators of. Um, unemployment, the creators of uh, and the beneficiaries, the true beneficiaries of um, of the system, right, of, of capitalism and of inequality um, who are basically doing really well right now in New Zealand. We've seen some areas of Auckland actually have their income directly go up over the last couple of years, while some areas of Auckland have actually seen their income go down. Like, you know, so we know that we, and a lot of people are well aware that that private wealth is, is the cause of these issues and, and we're doing what we can to bring those those two spaces together I guess. Um, so I want to talk about how we carry out our competent solidarity work. We don't call it, we, 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 we steer away from the word professional, I hate the word professional um, because I think you know and, and we've seen this in the um, 
the way that Alistair talks about it, because Alistair is a trained social worker and he's worked with people for, for a long time within the social work context, and what he always hated and despised about that was that your allegiance is to your employer and your allegiance is to your profession rather than to, you know, to the people you're working with. Um, and, and, and that you somehow have solutions around these people's lives that they don't know themselves. So, so you can kind of actually exert like some pressure in that power dynamic, right? So we, we still well clear of that word of professionalism and actually reject it entirely. So when we think about our work, we talk about it as competent solidarity work. And, and I think it replaces the professionalization of the left we also see manifested in other aspects of community work. So now, like I was saying, so if, if you want a food grant, you get referred to a budgeting service that are contracted by the government. Um, somewhere like maybe the Salvation Army or um, a South Auckland budgeting service where people are told that they need to look at how they're spending their money, um, even though they have not enough income, right? So um, so we reject, we reject that professionalisation of the left. I would say you can sometimes see it as well in the union movement and I uh, work in the union movement um, and um, also in professions such as teaching, you know, when you're working, um, I'm also a trained teacher, when you're working in a teaching context. Um, I had an experience where the first woman I'd ever um, advocated for um, who had had her benefits stopped for um, basically no reason other than that they'd rung her house and her Samoan speaking mother said that she wasn't there. So that was taken to mean that she had moved a dress and a sanction was imposed on her and she lost her full benefit that day. So when she went to go and pay for food um, she um, had had no money and went to working income to go and get a food grant to tide her over, a food grant that she is fully entitled to, a $450 food grant. She wasn't told that she was entitled to this. And she was told to go away, to go away to a food bank. But actually the catch is that to go to a food bank in New Zealand now, you need a letter from working income saying that you can't get a food grant. Um, but they, they didn't want to give her a letter. So she came to us because she already knew that something was up. And um, we went in that day and got her benefit reinstated on the spot and also got her a $400 food grant. That was actually her who did that. I just walked through the um, entitlement with her and sat alongside her as a support person. But she was the one who, who got her benefit reinstated, not me. Um, but a few months later, she called me to say that the social worker at her school, her son's school, was taking her son in um, to work in income without having asked her. So her 16-year-old son was being taken in to work in income to talk about um, the family and what was going on in an effort to actually, and this, and this is what is happening further and further, um, we're seeing work in income reach into people's lives, into people's private lives and their homes to find out what is going on in, effort, in an effort to impose sanctions. So. The reason that she and the reason that she had actually lost her benefit initially had actually been because the school social worker had written a letter to say that she believed this woman was in a relationship in the nature of marriage. She was not in a relationship in the nature of marriage, but regardless of whether or not she is, the fact that these school social workers can have the power to take people's children out of school into an office, into an intimidating environment such as work and income, and collude with with working income workers on how these people should be best living their lives with very little realisation of the material effects this has had on this woman's life is just obscene. Um, and I think, you know, it's a real indication of where 
some of these contracts where some of these well-meaning groups of individuals are going when they carry out their work as professionals rather than as people, right? So, um, and I think, you know, I think, I don't think we can understate the importance of, of solidarity, and I truly believe that the, the true meaning of solidarity is important, but I also think that the, the meaning of solidarity is under attack, um, because I think, and I think we can see that in how easily it rolls off the tongues of all sorts of people as a sort of like, you know, Anybody can be in solidarity with anyone, you know, totally in solidarity with in solidarity, you know, in solidarity, um, and in the face of injustice, and how unthreatening that seemed to be. You know, I think I think if we want to reclaim the word solidarity and and and, and have the true meaning of solidarity understood and intended, you, we would be see we would be seeing a visible change happening in the lives of people. Um, that are supposedly receiving this solidarity, but it would also threaten and disrupt and destabilise, you know, the current status quo. So that's kind of the mind with which we carry out our work and um, how we think of our advocacy. Um, so it's, you know, com competent solidarity for us is just about, it's about choosing a side and it's about acting upon, upon that choice with really great care not to reproduce the very structures that we seek to destroy. So, um, and I think, you know, the other important thing about that is it's it's not just about waiting for you know our communist utopia until we until we work together in a way that rejects you know hierarchy and authoritarianism and all the sort of like preconditions and paternalism that we see enacted in the charity model currently. Um, so it's about doing it here and now and actually working um, with people in a way that means something for their lives. We just heard from Nadia Abushanaf. She is a Palestinian, an educator, and a trade unionist living in New Zealand. She is the co-chair of Auckland Action Against Poverty, AAAP, a direct action and welfare advocacy rights group. This is an anti-capitalist group that was formed to oppose and expose the New Zealand government's agenda of welfare reforms and cuts and austerity attacks against the country's poorest communities. This talk was presented at the Marxism Conference 2015 that took place in Melbourne in April this year, organized by Socialist Alternative. With the permission of Nadia and of the organizers, we bring this talk to you. And that's all we have time for on today's Accent of Women. If you would like to hear this show again or any of our other programs, you can download the podcast from the 3CR's website, www.3cr.org.au and that's with the digit 3 and not spelled out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women's page and follow the links to this week's show. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into the show today. I'm Lourdes Garcia Larque, and I look forward to your company again in our next program.